Welcome back to my love letter time machine, where we discover a Yorkshire love story told through the love letters of two ordinary people, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton. My name is Ingrid Birchall Hughes, and I just happen to be their great-great-granddaughter. Every week, we travel 140 years back in time to discover the latest happenings, and as we draw a close to season four, today I have a special bonus question and answer episode for you. I've really left it quite a while for a Q&A. I'm sorry about that. And I also need to do a quick shout out to my listeners in the US who make up nearly a third of all my listeners. Due to the way things are separated online via country, I have only just discovered and read my reviews from you. So I'm sorry for being such a twit about that. I was particularly touched by this review from JB Pastime in the US who wrote Great Love Story very well told. Narrator's voice is soothing and her emotion comes through telling her family story. Historical information about the Victorian age is beautifully interwoven. This story highlights the fascinating history and emotional information that one can glean from letter writing and journal entries. Highly recommended if you like historical fiction stories or non-fiction in this case. JB, what a really thoughtful review. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone who has left a review. It really helps push the podcast up the ratings. Another thing that helps the podcast is the tips I get over on my Kofi page. Thank you everyone so much for those. And if you would like to buy me a coffee and make a contribution to the production of the podcast, that would be really welcome. Obviously, only if you are in a financial position to do so, of course. The money I get really helps towards the cost of hosting, paying for subscriptions to music and sound effects libraries, and also the subscription I have to the British Newspaper Archive that is currently setting me back 140 quid a year. You can find my Kofi page at ko-fi.com forward slash my love letter time machine. Thank you everyone for your questions and your brilliant ideas about what else you'd like me to include. Let's start with this one from exa25 on Instagram. I'd love to hear more about how Fred and Janie's story being told to you by your mother impacted you and your view on history, how it made you aware that history was more than just numbers and facts, but an ensemble of personal stories, such as your great-great-grandparents. How did these letters survive through the generations in your family? Also, had you done historical research before or was this your first time? What is the process behind all your research about the background information? Wow, Exa, thank you. Um, To answer this, I have to take you back a bit. Well, my mother, Jeannie, and her dad, my grandfather, Owen, were both very involved with doing family history research and had been doing it for decades. In actual fact, Owen ran the Family History Centre at Granicide in Sheffield for more than 25 years. So I've grown up knowing far more about my family origin than many people. It seems odd to admit this to you, you know, but I found it pretty dry to begin with. I guess I was being typical of my age in truth. Most of this was before the internet. To my eyes, there appeared to be a lot of effort spent poring over microfiche readers in libraries or getting soaked while trudging around a graveyard in hoping that if you were lucky enough, a the gravestone you were looking for had survived, and b, that it had some useful information on it that would give you clues as to where to target your search. 
My mum did her degree in family history, and my sister actually did hers in Victorian art and architecture, so there were and are far better historians in my family already. I am not a trained historian, but I am a professional writer, and I'm very fond of a quote by the wonderful late Hilary Mantel, the author of Wolf Hall, who, when she was doing her wreath lecture in 2017, said that as writers, your real job is not to be an inferior sort of historian, but to recreate the texture of lived experience, to activate the senses and to deepen the reader's engagement through feeling. My aim in the podcast has always been to tell Fred and Janie's story, to bring as much atmosphere to their lives as possible, to try and recreate the world they lived in and witness them actually inhabited through their own words. I have never, to my knowledge, bent the truth or presented anything inaccurate, but I have always prioritised the sense of the narrative over and above any exactitude in the relation of historical facts. I believe it was the letters themselves that were the catalyst for me to actually become properly interested in the flesh and blood people that my mum and granddad had already researched. I've mentioned before that they've been passed down the family, treasured really. Rereading the last of the letters in readiness for the next season of the podcast, I was stunned to realise that Janie and Fred themselves were actually conscious of the value of their own letters. Here's what I mean. Fred wrote, My darling, our letters will soon be closed, at least under present circumstances. I shall only have to write one more, love, and then I have done. I think we must both of us own that they have been a pleasure in writing and also a source of comfort in receiving. Is that not so, wifey? And Janie wrote, I shall soon be with you altogether now, my darling, then we shall be able to do without letter writing. There is something rather melancholy in the last of anything, love, especially letters. It does mark a great change in our lives in this case. I think it will be for good, and we shall both try to make each other happy, my darling, and I think we shall succeed. I mean, isn't that just... I find this amazing. And this makes me realise that Fred and Janie deliberately saved their letters. They were already precious to them, even before they were married. At some point, the pair of them united both sides of the correspondence and then squirreled them away. Janie looks to have chosen not their eldest daughter, Agnes, but Edith, her youngest daughter, as their recipient, which has always puzzled me. Edith was still an infant when Fred died, and part of me wonders if Janie gave them to Edith by way of giving her something of the father she wouldn't have remembered growing up. Some of Janie's letters are missing, and as I've reread them during the podcast, I've kind of formed the impression that the ones that are missing may have to do with the rows at home. I need to double check, of course, but the thought crossed my mind that Janie may have deliberately censored those for her own reasons. It could also just be coincidence. It's just as likely that after Janie died, it fell to Edith to sort out her mother's effects, and that's how they ended up with her. Edith gave the letters to her daughter Mary, my mum's mum. My granddad, Owen, went through them at one point, trying to find anything of relevance that would help him further the family history research, but understandably, given they were about his wife's family rather than his own lineage, he didn't get quite as much attention. 
However, I do remember him and my mum talking about the letters. And as a young teen, I was a bit startled when he said in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way to my mum, you know, there's quite a few sports pages. Watch out. I knew early on that these were not only love letters, but had some rather intimate content. And I think maybe that was the moment it dawned on me that these were real people. Curiously, the fact that the letters do contain so much intimate detail might well have been a risk factor in the likelihood of the letters being passed on. It's kind of amazing in a way that this content didn't consign them to a fire during the last 140 years. Perhaps this is indicative of an aspect of my family culture that has continued all the way through. I'd say on the whole, there has been a lack of embarrassment and shame. In fact, a pretty healthy attitude to human relationships and what people get up to. Pretty much the same attitude that Fred and Janie had themselves. So should I really be so mystified that this has continued? Anyway, my first introduction to the letters was that they were a rather lucky, handy record for a family to have in the service of research. And it was only as I got older that it slowly dawned on me that it was a wonderful family treasure. Exa 25 also suggested you could perhaps do a behind the scenes bonus episode and bring us all along your research journey. Thank you so much for putting time into the podcast series. It's so captivating and diverting. It's also moving to hear how much this correspondence means to you. Well, thank you so much for that. I am really glad you're enjoying it. And in a similar vein, Emma Lou P on Instagram also asked to be brought along the upcoming research trip. She writes, It would be great if we could come with you on the research trip to see Hansworth and all the landmarks from the podcast, maybe in the form of a vlog or some reels. And she also asks, Do you have any plans for the hard copy letters after the podcast is finished? I can just picture a display of letters and artifacts in a local museum. And finally, thank you for all the hard work that has gone into your podcast. Have you enjoyed the process? And did you learn anything about yourself whilst doing it? Well, in answer to you both, I will do my best to find a way of sharing and posting what I find out this summer and bring you along the journey. I'm still wrapping my head around the reels. There are a few up, but I've yet to do a personal one. Uh, My first job is to go through Janie's paperwork that I've mentioned before. I need to work out what exactly we've got. Fred's will is in there. I was surprised to discover that he'd joined the Freemasons at some point. There are some charity gala cards and a partially filled in dance card from one of their banquets. As I've mentioned before, Janie outlived Fred and there is an auction booklet from a house sale that she must have had before she moved back from Middlesbrough to Sheffield. There's a receipt for a sewing machine and I'd like to find out if that's how she earned some money by dressmaking. There are letters to the Scottish widows and the Freemasons concerning money for herself and her children. My first sift through the paperwork gives me the impression that while Fred was alive, they were doing quite all right for themselves financially and that afterwards... Janie had to make quite an effort to keep things going. As to the future of the letters, I I have offered them to my nephew, Will, uh, for when I finish them. And he also wondered if perhaps they should be in a museum or archive centre too. So when I get to that stage, I'll make inquiries. I'm becoming very aware that, particularly with Janie, to have this much of a working class woman's voice from this time recorded in so many letters that they are probably quite important for all kinds of research into social history. What was the last part again? Have you enjoyed the process? 
And did you learn anything about yourself while doing it? Yeah, I have enjoyed the process. It's been a genuine adventure and I'm still loving it very much. I've been doing this for about 18 months now as a podcast and as well as hopefully becoming a better storyteller, I've also acquired new skills in terms of sound editing, something I'd like to develop even more. As for learning things about myself, I didn't expect to become quite so attached as I am to Fred and Janie. I never expected to care about them as people quite as much as I do. It's been a truly emotional journey, and I know that in some ways it's going to get even harder, as eventually the story has to come to an end. I'm absolutely not prepared for that, and I suspect that I may have some grieving to do in my future. It's not usual, is it, to have this amount of information about your family from generations ago? Mary, my mother's mother, Fred and Janie's granddaughter, well, she died less than a year before I was born. I just missed her. It's like someone left a room just as you went in. I can almost hear her footsteps fading into the distance. She was very beloved by my mother and grandfather, and her loss was a palpable absence in mine and my sisters growing up. Ironically, what we share with Mary is that her own grandmother, who was Janie, died less than a year before she was born too, in 1921. Edith had to raise Mary without Janie's support, and my mother had to raise us without Mary's support. This direct maternal line got broken, not once, but twice, and I think the letters are even more precious because of this. I realise that when I'm done with this story, I am going to need another project, and Actually, my grandfather, Owen, who I just mentioned, was a nurse in the Navy during the Second World War. He actually wrote his memoirs of the war. It's full of amazing stories, funny and heavy both. And I jokingly mentioned to my mum the other day that they might make for another podcast. And she said she thought that was a brilliant idea. So you never know, I might give that a go too one day. Eleanor Blair on Mastodon asked, what has been your most interesting discovery and what needed the most research? Oh, blimey, at this stage there have been so many interesting discoveries. The episode that I called The Canary Caper, where David Craven cheated Ginny Reckless's brother Henry out of a canary he'd had an eye on at the market, was quite a surprise to me. It was such a beautiful throwaway detail about people's lives, and in particular of people's characters. This incident led to Fred mentioning his distrust of the entire Craven family, and we later learned of David's brother, Willie, I think, breaking an engagement with Maria Staniforth, Janie and Ginny's cousin. Broken engagements are not in the records, but finding out in a small obituary in a newspaper that Willie's first wife had died the year before, suddenly brought a new perspective into that particular mystery. All of my reasoning that Willie's grief and Maria's compassion for him had brought about the ill-fated engagement is entirely conjecture, but I think you can see why I went with that interpretation. Um, oh yeah, finding out that Fred quite likely had trigeminal neuralgia was a bit of a shock, albeit that was rather a personal reflection rather than anything to do with their story, but it was pretty wild. 
In terms of the amount of research helping the narrative, making sense of even a little obscure detail can take quite a lot of effort, and I don't always manage it. I've mentioned before that if I cannot resolve it, I will redact it for the benefit of the podcast. I think the recent Cutler's Company connection needed the most research, and yet I can't claim to have done all of it by myself. That was done a while ago by my distant cousin, Rosamond Duquesne, in her book about the Staniforths, Sicklesmiths and Spear Carriers. She mainly focuses on another branch of the family, but there were enough pieces in her book that gave me a massive leg up into working out how my ancestors connected into hers and how they were involved in such an important part of Sheffield's trade. That was awesome. Run Martini on Instagram asked, One of the things that surprised me was how amazing the postal service was in the 1880s. I know that in a previous episode you've chatted about it, but do you have any other information? How was it so good? Was the service the same all over the country? Was it an act of parliament? What was the equivalent in price today? I often wonder how Janie could afford sending so many letters. Without this service, the story would not have been the same. That's such a cool question. I think you could probably produce an entire podcast for years and years about the minutiae of how the postal service developed. As mentioned before, I think I should avoid being an inferior historian. And the best way I should answer your question would be to continue with the focus on Janie. Although she doesn't ever mention it, Janie did seem to have a bit of money. It's possible she had an allowance from her father or was able to petition her parents for some money as she buys Fred gifts, has some funds for clothes shopping and train tickets. A stamp for a letter would be the least of her expenses. Frustratingly, none of the envelopes from their letters has survived. I do have a couple of envelopes from other people's letters and a postcard of Fred's that was sent from his football club back in Sheffield for January 1882, requesting him to play. The Apney stamp is pre-printed on the postcard. Letters with a normal amount of paper in them, not exactly one of Fred's long ones, have postage stamps for a penny. And the National Archives currency converter says that a penny in 1880 would now be worth 28 pence. Let's say Janie was averaging three letters a week. That's only threepence, less than a pound in today's money. The only comment I can find anywhere about the frequency of the letters is nothing to do with the expense, and was back in February 1882 when Fred wrote, I was very pleased to hear from you this morning, love. It has, as you say, seemed an awful long time since the last. I think we could not manage, love, if we followed your mother's suggestion of only one a week. It is not to be thought of. So, I think we can assume from this, that for Fred and Janie at least, the expense of staying in touch was fairly trivial. As for the quality of the postal service, the frequency was amazing, particularly in the big cities, several deliveries a day. Villages further out, not on train lines, had fewer services, but there was still a need for even more frequency because telegrams were huge at this point, and this bit surprised me, the telephone was gaining traction. I mention this, as there's an emergency coming up in the next season at Fred's Works that requires them to telephone, actually telephone, for Mr Cooper while he was in London. However, that's getting spoilery, and we'll have to wait until the next season of the podcast. Ron Martini also suggested, what would be really useful for me is some sort of glossary for all the characters that come and go. 
something that I could refer to when a name returns that hasn't been mentioned by Fred or Janie for a long time. Sometimes I just can't remember. Not sure how that would fit into a podcast though. Well, I'd really like to have a go at doing a couple of background podcasts, one of which the working title is currently The Wellingtons and the Warburtons. I thought I'd call it that as I noticed that the family group of the Stanifalls and Recklesses are referred to as the Wellingtons by Fred and Janie occasionally in reference to the Wellington pub in Darnall. I'd also like to include a grouping of family and friends located in Handsworth and Darnall. I should also do a sort of who's who in Middlesbrough too. I guess I could try drawing a chart of some kind. Their social circle is rather expansive, isn't it? We are so used to writers condensing stuff so we don't get lost, and real life is a lot more complex, isn't it? Becca from Ely asked, As you tell their biography, are you experiencing too as they go through it? Do you get caught up in the story as well? Or do you think you are just watching them and have a responsibility to just tell what you see? Oh, that's a flipping great question, Becca. Gosh, I, I think it's obvious that I am so experiencing it. It's impossible not to. When I think back to discovering Emma drunk on the floor and their father James crying like a child. Or oh, the drama of that family wedding that got really spoiled by a bloody carriage crash of all things. I am so completely involved. It was just so, I just get so caught up when I when I come across things like that. And I really have to discipline myself to step back a little. I think it's important to do that as a good storyteller, but I'd be lying to myself if I thought I was an unbiased observer. Also, I think it's important for me to try and preserve those moments in such a way that you can feel. After all, these were real people describing real events and real feelings. It's such a rare opportunity to experience that with them. And it's kind of the whole point of the podcast. So we're almost at the end of the Q&A. There's just time to include this last suggestion on the future of the podcast from A on Mastodon, who said, why not broaden the scope? For example, a Google Maps style virtual tour of their walks, addresses, workplaces, etc. Possibly with photos of locations, recordings and lyrics of their music perhaps including programmes of the things they attended, you could make playlists. I love this. I love this so much. Well, I have actually started to work on this and I'm in the process of putting together two playlists that hopefully will soon be on YouTube and Spotify. I'll announce it on Instagram and in an update podcast when it's ready. First, I want you to be able to play all the lovely piano music that I use as the soundtrack on the podcast. And secondly, there will be the playlist from the songs that Fred sang, the music Janie played, and any operas and shows that I can find that they mentioned in the letters. I have actually recently found some copyright-free recordings of the famous Victorian baritone Charles Santley. He was the world-class opera singer who Fred went to see sing as part of Fred's Christmas celebrations back in 1878. That was in um, episode three of the first season of the podcast. So in a moment, I'm going to close out with one of those recordings. But for now, let me just say thank you for all your questions and brilliant suggestions. And thank you so much for listening to my Love Letter Time Machine. Please continue to share the podcast. Don't forget to join me over on the Instagram. That's my Love Letter Time Machine, all one word. You can still email me at myloveletter-time-machine at gmail.com. Um, for those of you brave enough to stick it out on Twitter, you can find me at Ingi, spelled one N-G-I. That's the number one then N-G-I. I don't just write about the podcast over there, so be aware. 
I'll drop by in the summer with a couple of bonus episodes and then we'll be back in September with the last of the letters and the continuation of the rest of their story. My Love Letter Time Machine was written and produced by me and the title music is Delicate Waltz by Neil Cross. So, here to see us out is a 1903 recording of Charles Santley singing that famous aria from Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. Thank you.